So we've been in this series for a few weeks. As I said, we're going to conclude this. We've uh, been kind of taking this approach, starting this new year off, that, that at some point in time for, for all of us, we, at, whether it's the beginning of a new year or the birth of, of a child or maybe your birthday or maybe even the, the loss of a friend, but at some point in our lives, we begin to, to have this realization how valuable time is. And I shared a story in week one. Uh, when I turned 41, at the, I, my birthday is December 31st, so I have a unique ability at, at the end of every year of, of kind of assessing and looking back over my last full year of life and, and assessing it. And this year when I turned 41, I sat down and I thought, man, and, and you've probably heard the saying before, the days are long, but the years are fast. And as I kind of took uh, inventory, if you will, of the year and watching my kids grow up and, you know, COVID threw a wrench in everybody's plans, but... It, as, as long as that year could have been, it went really fast for me. And, and it began to make me appreciate time and, and that we have a limited amount of time, a finite amount of time, and we need to do something with it. So I introduced you to a guy named Larry Walters, and we've been using one of his statements as kind of a diving board into the series. He said this, and if you don't know who he is, you should watch week one. I won't, I won't go into the whole story, but he had this great saying. He said, well, a man can't just sit around. And, and that's kind of what we feel. If we kind of look at our lives, it's so easy to, to just take a step back and let life happen without us, let life kind of pass us by. And life keeps moving at what seems as the older we get at a, at a more rapid and rapid pace. And we have a very finite amount of time. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to, to leverage that time and invest that time and, and budget that time in a way that we could look back at the end of a year or the end of a few months or, or perhaps at the end of our life and say, at least that was time well spent. At least I, I did something valuable with my time. At least I, I can look back and say that was an investment that was worth investing in. So that's what, what we, what we want to do with this series. That was the big promise, is that we would give you some key things. We use this illustration from Stephen Covey, who had a jar uh, of the finite time, and he, he had these rocks around it, and the rocks represented our priorities, and there were some, some large priorities, and there was the large rocks, the big ones, and there was medium and small. And you can't fit them in unless you start with the big. And you start with the key things in your life that you want to do, and you fit those in, and then you fit your, your kind of medium priorities, and then the, 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 the least priorities, then you can just kind of pile them in on top, and everything fits. But if you just throw everything in without having some order and some structure to it, it doesn't fit. We have to leverage our time. We have to budget. We have to plan it. And our hope, the promise of this series, it really was to give you some of those big stones, to give you some key things to fit into that jar that you would find valuable. We talked about spending time with Jesus, right, the time in the morning, your personal time with him. Last week, we talked about prayer, about how we pray and how we can take time to invest in our prayer life and our relationship with God. This morning... We want to shift focus a little bit. I want to talk to you about personal ministry. And as we, we uncover this idea of personal ministry, here's what I don't mean. I'm not talking about people like me who are full-time pastors, because when you talk, whenever you say something like ministry, everybody just assumes, oh, well, you know, he's talking about you. You're, you're a pastor. The, the truth is, no, I, this is an all-skate. This is for all of us. If you're a Christian, if you've aligned yourself and you say, I follow after Jesus, he, he's, he's my Savior, the truth is, we all have a ministry. We all have a full-time ministry. Whether you're, you're in the workplace, or you're in the church, or you volunteer, or you stay at home and you raise your kids, we all have a ministry, whatever it might be. There's a ministry that's been given towards us, and we need to do something with the ministry that we have, with the ministry that's been given to us. So that's what we want to talk about this morning, is what we do with that. And if you're a Christian, my guess is, if I were to ask you this question well, what were the key things? What were some things in your life that God used to kind of grow your faith, to help you grow in your relationship with him? Chances are, as you begin to kind of reveal and tell your story, you would come across something like this. At one point, somebody invited me to go on this trip. At some point, somebody asked me to get involved. At some point, I saw a need somewhere, and someone asked me to help fill that need, and I did, and God just kind of like 
like drew my faith up really big. Something, something happened. I recognized that there was a need, and I recognized that something needed to happen. And, and even though I didn't feel qualified, even though I really wasn't sure how to do it, I got involved, and, and something happened, and my faith just, just changed. It's like we recognize there's a need in people, and, and to, do, to, to kind of solve that problem, to fix that need, it requires us to serve. That we've got we've to get involved somewhere. We've got we, we've to serve somebody. And in a typical message like this, we would talk about the serving opportunities at the church. But guess what? We're in the middle of social distancing. There aren't a whole lot of serving opportunities right now. But that doesn't mean we can't serve. If this is something God wants to use to grow us, I think we have to shift even our, our mindset or our focus a little bit and think, God, how do you want me to serve even now? What, what do you want me to do even now? The truth is God wants to do something. That, that's the whole point is that God wants to do something. He wants to use something or somebody to get you outside of your comfort zone, to help stretch and to build your faith, to, to, to flex that muscle, because that's kind of what faith is. Faith is this ability to trust God. And if we're going to trust God more, if it's like a muscle, that muscle has to, be, has to be stretched. It's like working out. It has to be worked. And, and as it works, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? You work out, and, and there's pain, and they describe that pain, and, and there's discomfort, and, and you feel like you don't know what you're doing. But at the end of it, that muscle builds, and that muscle gets stronger. And, and I think that's exactly how God wants to use personal ministry for us. He wants to invite you outside of the place you feel comfortable to help you recognize. That, and, and sometimes it comes across like this. It's like a little nudging, isn't it? It's like that little elbow jab all the time. God won't let it go. It's in your mind. It seems to be in your life, and it's just it's, it's all around. And I, I, I can't, like, escape it. It's there, and it, it, it just keeps coming up. And it's not guilt. Some people think it's guilt. It's not guilt. It's God consistently reminding you over and over again. I want to get you outside of your comfort zone so that I can stretch you and so that I can build your faith, that I can help you take another step in your relationship with Jesus. We're going to look at a very familiar story. If, if, as soon as we dive into this story, my guess is if you spend any time in church, it's going to be a very familiar story with you. <clears throat> You're going to think immediately, oh, I know how that story ends. I don't need to hear it. I want you to pay attention because there's something that happens about halfway through this story. There's a conversation. Really, it's a statement given by Jesus that I think speaks directly into this whole idea of of serving and how we serve, of personal ministry and how God wants to use this personal ministry, this idea of serving, this idea of getting involved to grow us. So we're going to dive into Matthew. This is a very familiar story. It starts off this way. When Jesus, this is in Matthew now, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a pri- uh, privately to a solitary place. And what Matthew's talking about, this thing that Jesus heard that had happened was that Jesus' cousin, who was John the Baptist, had just been killed. John the Baptist uh, <clears throat> was an outspoken man, as, as you know, if you ever hear us talk about John the Baptist. Uh, Herod, who was king, had John the Baptist arrested, put in jail, and eventually beheaded because John the Baptist wouldn't stop talking about Herod. Herod had, had done this, this uh, what was even considered in this time, this really inappropriate thing, this really uh, evil marriage in, in John's eyes. He'd married his own sister, and John didn't agree, so John kept preaching about it, and eventually Herod and his wife got sick of hearing about it. So they had him arrested, they had him jailed, and they threw him in prison, and eventually they, they, they beheaded him. And Jesus loved his cousin. He loved John the Baptist. So he wanted to go away. He wanted to go away privately, and he wanted to mourn, but it didn't kind of work out that way. Hearing this... <coughs> Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Or essentially, they heard Jesus was, was going away privately across the lake, so they just started walking around the lake, right? Well, I, I know Jesus is mourning. I know his cousins died, and that's, that's all sad, and that's his business. But 
but you know, we need, we need, we need, we want, we want, we want. So Jesus, we, you know, too late, we're going to find you and, and we want you to do what, what you always do. Well, the crowds follow Jesus around the lake and when Jesus kind of gets to the other side of the lake, uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick because that's what Jesus does. And, and it's a, incredible to me, the New Testament just kind of throws this out there, right? Jesus just showed up and he just healed their sick. And they, they talk about it all the time. Like wherever he goes, Jesus just does this. And this is like this fantastic thing. But imagine for a moment being there and experiencing this. You show up and, and Jesus does what only Jesus can do, right? He just heals the multitudes of sick. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. To me, it's, it's even a little mind-blowing. But this is what it's like to be spending time with Jesus. As evening approached, the disciples now, they came to him and they said, kind of looking out over the crowd, Jesus, it's getting dark, it's getting late. This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food. And, and it comes across that the disciples are deeply concerned about the crowds of people who have come to follow Jesus. But my, my guess is, maybe I'm just reading into this and maybe this is how I read the Gospels, but I, I kind of get this idea that the disciples are a little bit more concerned about themselves. Hey, Jesus, it's really late. You should send them away because, they're, I mean, we're, no, they're, they're hungry, Jesus. Really, it's like, hey, Jesus, what are we going to do about food? We've been here all day. We're hungry. They're hungry. Send them away. Let them go buy food because we're hungry and we need to eat. And, and here's where this, this tension kind of comes up, that, that Jesus makes this incredible statement that I think speaks directly to us oftentimes about how uh, when we feel this nudging, when we kind of look out and we see this ministry or we see this organization or, you know, we're invited on a missions trip or we feel like we should serve in, in, in a kids ministry or a youth ministry or another ministry somewhere outside of the church. We feel this constant nudging and then it, it's like, well, somebody's got to do something about that. Jesus, you need to do something about that. And this is Jesus' response. I love this. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see it's late. I see they're hungry. I know people need food. I, I get all that, guys. But they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I think that's what happens when he's nudging us. Oh, Jesus, I, I just don't like how, how those people are treated over there. Yeah, you go do something. Jesus, I, I, I just, I, I look in and I see those kids' ministries and I love dropping my kids off there. And if you're at home and you've been here before, you love dropping your kids off. You probably wish you could drop your kids off right now. I love dropping my kids off there and, and, and they, they look like they need help. You go help. But, you know, I, I'm just concerned about this, this organization that's doing this thing across the world and how they're reaching people. You go help them. And I think if you're anything like me, our response tends to be, oh, no, no, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray that you send people to go help them. do. I'm going to pray that you send some people to get involved in kids ministry. I know they need kids and they're wonderful. And those youth people, they're, they're wonderful and they need help. I'm just going to pray. That's what I do. My job is just to pray for those people. God, send more people to go. And I think often Jesus' response to us is, no, I, I'm nudging you, so you go. You go give them something to eat. You go feed them. You get involved. You take the trip. You serve. You fill out that card. You go do it. You feed them. The disciples, I, I think, re kind of react the same way we do. But I think Jesus is saying this thing over and over again. It's this. When you sense a need, you need to do something about it. Whether it's, it's in a ministry or it's in a church or an organization or a ministry outside of the church. Maybe it's 
like we said, a, a missions trip around the world. When you sense a need, you're sensing that need because God wants you to do something about it. And oftentimes we put it off and, and, and we write off, you know, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just hypersensitive to these kinds of things. Or I just, I, I have this charity gene in me and I just kind of dive in too much and I can't do that. And, you know, I just feel guilty. No, I, I think it's God trying to speak to you so you would get involved and go do something. And here's the interesting thing. It's not even so much the doing that God needs done. It's you going to do it that God needs done. Because in you going to do it and you being called out of what you're comfortable doing, called out of that comfort zone, God has the ability to stretch and to strengthen and to build your faith and to grow you up. So that at the end of it, you would look back and, and you'd have the same, the same saying that we've been saying all, all month. That I was uncomfortable. I didn't like that, but that was time well spent. Perhaps God's speaking to some of you now, even here, or maybe online as you're viewing. And you've been feeling that nudge. You've been feeling it for a while that you should do something. And you keep praying and putting it off and somebody else. And maybe you write it down and think, I wish somebody would do something about this. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful Dr. King didn't sit down and say, somebody else should go solve this problem. He felt the nudging enough to get involved and to do something about the need that he saw. The disciples were told by Jesus, you, you go do something. And what do they do? They do exactly what we do. Right? They begin to, to come up with different excuses, don't they? Here's the disciples' response. <clears throat> but Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. I can't do it, Jesus. Like, I don't know. Like, I know you, you want me to do it, but look what I have. I, I, it's impossible. I don't, I, I don't have what I need to do this, right? I, I'm not educated enough. I don't have the resources. Jesus, I, I, I can't do it. I, there, there's just excuse after excuse, and that's kind of what we do. Well, you do it, but I can. And I, look at all the reasons I can't. I got a job and I've got responsibilities. And Jesus, it's just like, you know, my, my Sundays are full doing the things I like to do. You get involved. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Jesus, I, we can't do it. Jesus, okay, bring them here to me. Bring me what you do have. Jesus, we only have five pieces of bread and two fish. Okay, bring it to me. Jesus, I, I don't really know that I, I, I can do this because I don't have all the resources. Well, bring me what you do have. Jesus, I only went to two years of Bible college. Okay, bring me the, the two years you have. Jesus, I don't really have a, a lot of time. Bring me the time you have. I don't really have a lot of experience. Bring me the experience you have. And what does Jesus do with it? Jesus says, just bring me what you have. And trust me to do what only I can do. So you know how the story goes. The disciples come to Jesus with five pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus decided that the people, <clears throat> if you go to the next one, he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And then he takes these five loaves and these two fish, and he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks, and he breaks the loaves, and then he gives the very thing the disciples brought to him back to him. He hands them back the five loaves and the two fishes. Now, I know this seems a little dramatic, but I want you to kind of picture yourself in this event. There's 5,000 people behind you. You're standing face-to-face -face with Jesus, who's done amazing things. Jesus, you feed him. No, no, no. You feed him. I can't. That's all I have. Bring it to me. Jesus prays over what you bring him, and then what does he do? He hands it back to you. I mean, I just imagine if I were a disciple, I'd be like, yeah, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, do you, do you see those people? I've got, like, a piece of bread and a piece of fish. He hands it back to him. He gives the disciples back to them, and then he tells the disciples, here's what I want you to do. Take this and give it to the people. And the disciples do the only thing they know how to do. Right? They, 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 can't, they can't 
feed 5,000 people. They, they can't do some amazing miracle, but Jesus told them to do something, and they can do it. This is really the, the point. You just do what you know how to do, and then you trust your heavenly Father to do what only he can do. And that's the key. When God is nudging you, when you feel that burden, that, that thing on the inside, I got to do this, but I don't want to do this. I'm uncomfortable. God, would you stop asking? Let me pray about somebody else to do this. This is what God is really getting at. I just want you to do what you know how to do, and I want you to learn to trust me to do what I can do. Just bring me what you have. I only have five loaves and two fish. Okay, give it to me. Then I'm giving it back to you. Now go do this thing. Go do what only you know how to do. So the disciples did. I, I, I can't make more food than what I have but I can do what you've asked me to do. They handed it out. And they kept handing it out. And, and, and somehow this miracle took place. They kept handing it out. And they all ate. And they were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. I mean, how does this math? This isn't math. This doesn't work. I mean, I'm not a math teacher. You might be, but maybe you can help me. That doesn't add up. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. And the disciples, here's the thing. This is, after this was done, it's not like they thought, hey, guys, this was amazing. We should go start a business. I mean, people just give us their crumbs and we'll feed the multitudes. Like, this is amazing. The disciples didn't say that at all. And they would look at it and say, I was there. You were there. Dude. Like, we saw what happened but we can't take any, I don't know what happened. All I know is I did what God asked me to do. I have no idea how the rest happened. He handed me some broken pieces of bread and fish and said, serve the people, and I served the people, and somehow over 5,000 people ate and were satisfied, and we had leftovers. It wasn't me. All credit has to go to God. And, and this is key to the story. Because every time God asks you and nudges you to do something, all he's expecting you to do is to do what you know how to do and to trust him to do what he can do. And that makes us uncomfortable. It stretches us. God, I don't know how that's going to play out. I don't know how that's going to work. But if you, if you look back at every time God moved in our society, in our culture, in our history, every great move, every great organization, somewhere along the lines, somebody, you, you'd find a story. Tell me your story. How did this get started? Why did you do this? Why did you get involved? I, just, I felt like I had to do it. I saw this need, and I felt like somebody has to do something about that. And then eventually I got the idea that that somebody it has to be me. So I did it. And I, I don't know how it happened. I can't take any credit. I just did what I knew how to do. And somehow God did the rest. These are the people that don't take any credit for it. These are, are the people like, like Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King. And, and, and we have all these famous names. But the truth is, they're people who start off just like you and me. Just simple people who felt a nudging and saw a need. So that's got to change. If no one else is going to do it, it might as well be me. I, I don't even know how. But, but I've got these two hands. I've got this book. I've got a computer. I'm just going to do what I know how to do and trust God for the rest. And, and then what's interesting here is, is that Matthew tells us immediately after this. And it's, he's letting us know, don't miss this. You, we're going to see this as two different stories. This isn't two different stories. These stories are connected, so don't miss this. Jesus is teaching a bigger lesson. It's not like Jesus just ran out of miracles and was like, hey, guys, i got a great one. Why don't I just go feed 5,000 people, and then we're going to jump over here, and we're going to do this other amazing thing. 
These are all connected because Jesus is trying to make a point. He's trying to teach his disciples something really, really key to our Christian experience, to growing in our faith. He says immediately after this, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. He had to force them. I mean, I would imagine you have to force them because after that, you're feeling pretty amazing. I don't know how we did this. It's amazing. He forced them to get in a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And I'm not sure how Jesus dismisses the crowd at this point. 5,000 people show up. He heals everybody and then feeds them a meal with leftovers from nothing. It's like, Jesus, I'm not leaving. This is amazing. Somehow, Jesus finds a way to dismiss the crowd. He dismisses them and sends them on their way. After he did dismissed them, he went on the mountainside by himself to pray, which is just a, another reiteration of what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. That's a key lesson in and of itself. Finding time, budgeting time, leveraging your time to go away, to be by yourself, and to pray, and to connect to your Heavenly Father. Jesus goes away, and he goes away to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. When evening came, when, when night began to settle, He's there alone, and he's praying. His disciples, he, he put them in a boat, and, and now they're on their boat. They're on their way across the lake, and these guys are familiar with boats. They're fishermen. They're familiar with the lake. They have to row to the other side. This is, this is nothing new to them. But Matthew tells us, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. They're about halfway through. They're rowing. It's pitch black. It's dark. And the boat began to be buffeted by waves and the wind that was against it. They're rowing in the boat. And just imagine, if you've ever been on one of those rowing machines, you know, you're, you're, you're rowing, but you feel like you're not getting anywhere. That was them. They're rowing, and they're fishermen. They've done this. They've been trained for this. They know how to do this. They've developed the muscles to do this. They're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're getting nowhere. The wind's just pushing them back. And I'm sure they're thinking, you know, God, this was great exercise, but guys, we're not getting anywhere. We need to do something. This isn't, ha this isn't working. The wind's pushing us back. And here's the thing. I know how to do this. I've been trained to do this. Yet I can't make any progress. During the fourth watch, or a little later, they're doing this all night. They're doing this and doing this and doing this. And during the fourth watch of night, Jesus went out to them. And this is the part where everybody kind of gets tripped up because they hear this. You know, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And it's like, I can't. If I have to be a Christian, I can't believe that. That's just, I can't believe that and be a Christian. And I get it. Here's the thing. As a child, I understand how you feel. It's, it's fantastic. It's unbelievable. I don't know how he did it, except that it's Jesus. But here's the thing, and we're going to get to this in, in just a minute. Their reaction to this and credence to this and credibility to this. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were, and I want us all to say this word and say it with some passion. What does it say there? They were, oh, that was like so weak. Come on, guys, play with me. If you're at home, play with me a little bit. Make me feel like you're paying attention. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They weren't expecting this. They weren't expecting Jesus. They were terrified. Of course they would be. You see, what, what offers credibility to the Gospels is that the guys who wrote the Gospels, you know, we make them up to be saints. There's, you know, there's St. John and St. Paul, and, you know, we, we build a, a, a whole church to Peter. Like, these guys are like the, the superheroes of the faith, and they are. But they would tell you, if you, when you get to heaven and you ask them, God, you're saints, they would say, no, no, we're not saints. But, but look what you did. We were just ordinary men. To be honest, we were cowards. As a matter of fact, later on, we're even going to reject Jesus. We're going to deny him. We're going to run away from him. Peter's going to tell you, I was so scared, I cut a guy's ear off. Yeah, but you're saints. No, no, no. We were cowards. You see, if you're, if you're fabricating this story, 
the authors of the story you would, you would think and you would tend, and, and history shows, you'd write yourself in as a hero. They're not writing themselves in as heroes. Matthew, who wrote this account, is sitting in the boat admitting, I'm a coward. I just saw Jesus do the unbelievable, feed 5,000 people with five pieces of bread and two fish, and he comes walking on the water, and I am scared to death. That's why we can believe. I don't know how it happened, but I know a bunch of people who didn't believe, saw it and believed it, and wrote a story to tell you about. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately says to them, and I love this line, take courage, be brave, it's I. Don't be afraid, guys. It's me. It's Jesus. And in that moment, Peter, who's sitting in the boat, terrified, thinking this this man walking on the water who is his savior, his messiah, his, his rabbi, his friend is a ghost, things begin to click. It's like Peter almost says in this minute, I, I get it. Jesus, I, I, get, I get what you're doing with this. Jesus, I, I kind of understand. This, this isn't all disconnected stories. This isn't like you got bored one day and decided to feed some people, and then you got bored again and wanted to walk on water. You're, you're teaching us something. There's, there's this, this theme to this. You're, you're trying to teach us, and Jesus, I, I think I'm beginning to understand. And Peter begins to, to, to put the pieces together, and he asks Jesus a question. I love what he says. He says, Lord, if it's you, and I think he, what he's saying on the inside, God, I really hope it's you. If it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I think when he said that, the rest of the disciples are thinking, Peter's like, if you want to go, go. But we're not, we're not getting out of the boat. And Peter's like, no, guys, I, I think I'm beginning to put this together. You see, when, we came, when Jesus asked to feed, we had nothing. We had, to, we had to trust him. All we had was a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread. And, and if we trusted him with it, he did what he could do. We just had to do what we knew how to do. And he did something amazing. We just have to, have to trust him. And here's, here's what Peter's beginning to put together. If, if it's God and God's willing to call me out on the water, even though I don't know how because I, I can't walk on water, I don't know how to do that. If I trust him, God will do what only he can do. God will do what he wants to do on my behalf. And so often, when I think when God's nudging us, take a step out of the boat, start that ministry, go on that missions trip, jump in and, and, and serve in, in kids' ministry or youth ministry or at the homeless shelter. Get involved and do something. We think, but God, I, I, I just don't know how. God's saying, if you, would just, if you would just trust me and take a step, if I'm calling you to do it, I will equip you to do it. See, and, and so many times we kind of got this backwards. We have this great idea to do something, right? I have this great idea. I'm just going to jump in and trust Jesus. And then that thing fails. I said, well, did Jesus not tell you to do it? Well, no. You see, we had an idea. And we wanted to do it. So we just said, well, I'm not going to do the work. I'm just going to trust Jesus. And Peter's saying, no, no, it's backwards. If, if God will call me to do it, he'll do everything I need to see it through. But he's got to call me first. That's why Peter says, God, if it's you, call me out there. Because if it is you and you call me out, you'll do what only you can do. I don't know how to walk on water, but I know how to step out of a boat. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water to you. And how does Jesus respond? Come. Peter did what only Peter knows how to do. I can't walk on water, but I can step out of a boat. 
I know how to walk. And he steps out of a boat and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. I mean, this is one of the most fantastic stories in all the scripture. And we read this and we just, we're kind of, as a kid, we're just overwhelmed. Jesus walked on water, that's so cool. But Peter's putting the pieces together. God, if you'll call me to do this, and if I trust you and I do what I know how to do, you'll do the rest. You'll do what only you know how to do. So let, let me challenge you with this. Would you pray Peter's prayer? Would you pray, pray this prayer? Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. Please. I, I see a need, and I, I, wish, I wish I had somebody who was investing in me when I was a teenager. And I see that those teenagers had that. Would you just call me out of my comfort zone? Because if you will, and if, if you call me, then you'll acquit me. All I have to do is do what I know how to do, and you'll do the rest. But God, I got to know it's you. God, I, I, I'm just so burdened by what I see over in this group of people. Would you call me to do something? Would you call me out of my comfort zone? Would you make me a little uncomfortable? And I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I, I don't have the answers. I'm not even sure how I'm going to do it. But I know that I can take a step, and I know that I can trust you. Would you pray that prayer? Lord, invite me out of my comfort zone. Peter did. And he walked on water. But the story changes. When Peter saw the wind, and imagine the wind blowing so hard you can see it. It's blowing, it gets thrashing against the water. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand to him and called him and said, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? And as a child, when people like me, preachers and teachers, would teach this, it would be like a form of rebuke. Jesus got him down and said, oh, you of little faith. I said, I don't think Jesus did that. And maybe it's just the parent in me. But I, I, think, I think Jesus looked down at Peter and thought, Peter, you were, man, you were so close. Why did you doubt? You, like, you were right there. Why, why, why Peter? You were so close to getting it. Like, you got it, and you asked the right question. You knew where I was going. You were just, it's like when your baby takes a few steps. Like, you almost had it. I mean, really, if he was going to chastise people, why would he chastise Peter? There's 11 other guys in the boat who were too scared to get out. Peter, you were so close. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't doubt. If I'm calling you to do it, man, I'll take care of you. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I mean, before this Jesus, we had our doubts, right? I mean, you fed the 5,000 with, like, nothing. That was crazy. You've seen you heal multitudes of people wild. But after this, there's no doubt. Clearly, truly, you're the Son of God. You see, I, I think... This is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to stretch us, to build our faith so that we would be willing to trust him more, that we would be willing to, 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 to rely on him and depend on him more. 
And, and all of these things, all of these nudgings, whatever it might be, th th these are all based on, on somebody else's need or some other concern. And the truth is God is concerned about that and he wants those things taken care of. But, but I kind of wonder if what he's really concerned about is growing those people's face who would get involved. If you would do this, I could stretch you and I could grow you. And what you could do later is beyond your expectations. But would you trust me? Would you let me grow you? So here's the question I have to ask, and it's the same if you're sitting at home. Where's God nudging you? You've been feeling it maybe throughout this whole message, this whole talk. These little elbow jabs, and it's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your dog sitting on the couch with you. It's God. And he's been nudging you over and over and over. And you chalk it up to feeling guilty, or you chalk it up to, you know, I saw an infomercial, or... You know, I, I've heard Jim have give this talk before, and, you know, I should get involved in kids, I guess. I just, there's this guilt. It's not guilt. It's God. You see, here's the truth. We have volunteer needs, and when people come back and you're feeling comfortable, there'll be more volunteer needs and more places for you to plug in. And I want to see those things filled, and I want to see our ministries flourish. But more than any of that, the mission we set out here as a church to accomplish was to see you grow in your relationship with God. That's the key. I want to see God begin to grow you. And that happens when we're stretched. It happens when our faith muscle is exhausted. And then it builds and it grows. It's just like, you know, if you lift weights, it's the same idea. What's God's nudging you to do? Is it to jump in and serve somewhere? Is it to be involved in, in a kid's ministry? I mean, th think about this. If you're here or you're watching online or, you know, you participate in dropping your kids off in, in one of our youth or children's programs, this is what I want you to remember as you're doing this. Remember that somewhere along the way, somebody felt that nudging and was, was confident and maybe bold enough to step out of the bolt to do this. When we set out to start this church, no one knew what they were doing. I mean, I thought, well, if people follow me, they're utter idiots. I, don't, I have no idea how to start a church. But I was willing to say, God, I don't know how to do it except to take a step and start walking. And I'll trust you to do the rest. Our kids' ministries, our youth ministries. I think about this story. I actually asked if I could share this this morning because every time I think about this idea of serving and God stretching us, I come back to Ashley and Jordan Bartol. I remember having another talk like this years ago. And we were talking about youth ministry and the idea that I wanted to see a youth ministry started. And they came to me after service and they said, Jim, we, we think we want to start youth ministry. And I said, listen, I've tried this before. If you're just doing this because you feel guilty, I don't want you to do it. I want people who really want to get involved. And, and her words to me, I will never forget. She said, Jim, I don't want to do it, but I can't feel like, I can't stop feeling this way. I go to bed and I think about it. I wake up and I think about it. I pray about it and it's there. It's like God won't let it go. So I don't know what else to do. Would you let me try? That's exactly what I want for each and every one of you. What's God nudging you to do? It's not just to make a church better or a ministry better. It's to make you better, to grow you and to stretch you so that at the end of whatever experience it might be, you would look back and you'd say, man, that was time well spent. I was uncomfortable. I had no idea what I was doing. I was scared to take a step out of the boat and, and, and begin to walk. I didn't know like, how to do any of it. But I knew what I had, and I knew that I could trust Jesus. And I was willing to put those two things together. And when I did, God did what only God could do. Jesus did what only Jesus can do. So would you be willing? 
Would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do? Would you be willing to take the step? Would you be willing to trust? Would you be willing to say, God, I may have a short amount of time, but I'll give you that short amount of time. God, I only have limited resources. I only have uh, two years of college education. Uh, God, I, I only have Sunday mornings. But I'll give you my Sunday mornings. Would you do what you know how to do and be willing to trust God to do what God and only God can do? See, the promise of this is if you do, God will take you on a journey and he will grow your faith and he will build your faith. And in the process, he may even do something completely miraculous. Tomorrow, we're going to recognize one man who did the very same thing. And it changed literally, and this isn't an exaggeration, it changed the world. And each and every one of you have the same ability. If you went back to before this started and you asked Dr. King, how would you do this? Like, what prepared you? I'm a simple man. I'm a simple preacher in a simple town in a simple house. I take no credit. I did what I knew how to do, and God did the rest. Would you be willing to trust God? Maybe he's asking you to get involved. Maybe you're here and, and you feel a, a need to get involved somewhere in serving in ministry. Maybe you're at home and you're feeling a need to get involved somewhere in ministry. Would you be willing to do what you know how to do? Would you trust God? Maybe he's asking you to take a missions trip somewhere when all of this nonsense dies down and you can travel. Maybe he wants you to do it right now in the midst of that. Would you be willing to do what you know how to do? And would you trust God to do what only God knows how to do? Would you pray Peter's prayer? Lord, would you call me out of my comfort zone? Would you stretch my faith? Would you grow me? Guys, every time we take that opportunity, that is time well spent. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this incredible, incredible, incredible story, God, that we read it, and so often it, it just seems impossible, God. It seems all oh, ridiculous. But God, only you could do that. Only you could do what, what you talk about in this story. God, I pray that we would develop the, the, the awareness like Peter, God, to sense the nudging and to say, God, if you're calling me, I may not know how to do this, but I will trust you. Would you give us the courage like Peter to step out of the boat, whatever that nudging might be, God, filling out a connect card, joining a ministry, joining a, an organization, God, taking a trip, whatever it might be. Maybe it's as simple as inviting some people over for dinner and having a conversation listening to what someone has to say, carrying their burdens, Lord, but serving them nonetheless. God, we may not know what to say. We may not know what to do. But would you give us the courage to take a step and to trust you? Would you give us the wisdom to see, God, that, that this isn't guilt, this isn't some fabrication, this isn't something we ate that's stirring these feelings, but it's you nudging us to get involved, to do something, and to trust you. I give you glory and honor, Lord, and I can't wait in, in a few weeks, in a few months, God, maybe towards the end of this year to hear the stories of, of what people say, God, when they begin to, to take a step to do what they know how and to trust you and to see, God, all the amazing things you're going to do in their lives, in the community, in organizations, in this church. And I give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.